Well, turn in your Bible or scroll in your Bible app to the book of Ephesians, the New Testament book of Ephesians chapter 4, Uh, Ephesians chapter 4 beginning in verse 1. It's a key part of the book of Ephesians. Many of Paul's letters, not all, but many of Paul's letters, you can see a pretty uh, sharp divide between the foundation of doctrine that Paul is laying and then saying, in light of that, let's do this. In light of that, let's do this. And so in the book of Romans, the first 11 chapters is largely foundational in doctrinal truths. There's not a lot of do. It's a lot of who God is, how God saves how people interact with him, et cetera, et cetera, Romans 1 to 11. Then Romans 12 is, in light of what I've said we are and who God is and what he's done, let's do this. Uh, Galatians is the same thing. Uh, chapters 1 through 4 is a lot of doctrine. 5 and 6 is, in light of this, let's do. In Ephesians, it's actually right down the middle. 1 through 3, strong foundation of doctrine. The first three chapters with not a lot of commands, not a lot of application, not a lot of imperatives. But right here in chapter 4 and going straight through chapters 5 and 6 is, in fact, you can actually see the first word in Ephesians 4 verse 1 is, I therefore, meaning in light of what we've been talking about, in light of what I've written to you about, let's do this. Here's what we should do. So that's where we're picking up Ephesians 4 today for this one-off sermon called Working Together to Build Up the Church. And so there's a little bit of background for the book of Ephesians. And we're going to read Ephesians 4 beginning in verse 1 straight through verse 16. And Uh, In honor of the reading of God's holy word, if you're physically able, would you please stand and follow along silently as I read aloud from Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. This is what the word of God says. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience. Bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high... He led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean But that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. Verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Uh, I don't know if they still do this in school. It's been a long time since I've been in school. 
Um, but how many of you uh, recall pop quizzes? Uh, pop quizzes. How many of you recall? All six of us. Great. Okay, so it's not just me. Do they still do that? Is this still a thing? They do that in school? Yes? My son says no. My daughter says yes. So apparently they don't in high school and they do in middle school. Pop quiz, where all of a sudden the teacher stands before the class and says, hey, you didn't see this coming, but here's a pop quiz. And we're all like, why do you hate us? And so anyway, uh, and sometimes it would even be about something that's not even, like you haven't even gone over. It seems like, are you out to trick us? Do you not have, is this a power trip that you're doing for pay? Anyway, I'm giving you a pop quiz. So all that is to build up for me to say I'm giving you a pop quiz, and the pop quiz is right now. And it has nothing to do with what we just read. So I'm that guy. I'm that teacher. Uh, Pop quiz about the Bible. Here we go. What are the first five words of the Bible? The first five words of the Bible in virtually every translation are translated exactly the same. The first five words of the Bible. Not a trick question, just a real question. If you were to think back on what you... It's an open book test. You can scroll if you want. You can look back. Okay, it's fine. Cheat in church. You're good. Uh, First five words of the Bible in Genesis 1, beginning in verse 1. Let's see if we can say them together. You ready? Go. In the beginning, God... Right. In the beginning, God created. Okay? In the beginning, God created. And you all pass. In the beginning, God created. It's a crazy concept. First of all, actually, the first four words are pretty amazing, right? Let's say those together. In the beginning, that's it. Before there was anything, there was God, right? Existing outside of time, existing outside of space, uh, he was never created. He just always was. In the beginning, God, that's it. But God didn't leave himself to be just himself. He decided to do that fifth word, which is create. In the beginning, God created. And when God creates, he creates, he speaks things into existence. Yesterday, my daughter had a friend over, and they made some things. They cooked, and they made, I can do this, banana bread and brownies. Banana bread and brownies. And we had them for... Dessert after dinner, and they were really good. Banana bread and brownies. Not, I, don't, I don't know if there was any... Was there any banana in the banana bread? No, not at all. So super organic. And, but anyway, it was very good. We enjoyed it. Banana bread and brownies. They, they did not walk into the kitchen and just be like, brownies! And it was so. And the family ate them and saw that they were very good. <laughs> banana bread! And banana bread appeared. And Peter ate them, and behold, it was very good. They didn't create banana bread. They made banana bread. They did not create brownies. They made brownies, and they made brownies and banana bread with ingredients. And it was very good. But they can't create. They can make. They make from things that already exist. And so they had a mix from, I think, Trader Joe's. I think it's Trader Joe's. Kind of our second home ever since we got one that... It's not in Kenwood. So Trader Joe's mix and then ingredients and they made it and it was, in fact, very good. God doesn't need ingredients. God literally speaks and it is. Let there be light. Boom. 
It's not like, well, let's hold on a minute. How are you going to create light? I mean, there's nothing. The earth was void. There's nothing in the universe. It's just you, God. What do you mean, let there be light and there just is? And God's like, yeah, I can do that. I'm not Emma. I'm not her friend. I'm not a human. I can speak things into existence. Let there be God. Boom. And it was so. That's creating. In fact, technically, it's called creating. Here's the big term. Ex nihilio, which means out of nothing. God creates things out of nothing. He doesn't need ingredients. He doesn't need, i got to make sure I have enough supplies so I can do this. Like, we can build, we can make. That's great. That's a kind of God-ish, right? It's a little bit of a character of God that we get to at least have some, some semblance of what that's like, and we are made in God's image, and that shows that. But we're not creating anything. Even creating babies is not called creation. It's called what? Procreation. So we're creating out of two people who already exist, and a sperm and an egg which already exists, and God makes a baby. That's not creating. That's procreating. But God speaks things into existence. Let's there be light. Boom. Let the earth sprout forth vegetation. Boom. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. What do you mean? Sprout, earth, vegetation. What is this? Boom. Just is. He speaks it, and it is. Let there be lights, right, in the heavens. The greater light to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night. Boom, it just is. Let the waters swarm with creatures. Boom, let birds fly above the earth. Boom, boom, boom. Boom, say boom. Boom, right? Just, just, just over and over and over again. This is creating. How many of you have aspects of your life that you wish that are, like, coming together that it would be so great. God, can you just speak this into existence? Right? I just, you know, wish I was in better shape. God would just be like, let him be hot or whatever. You know, let, let him be trim or let her be whatever. Let, 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 like, just boom. And it could just, just happen. One of the times I, and I was kind of laughing with my community group about this last week. But it really just shows the depths and the darkness of my heart. One of the times I find myself the most frustrated with God is if I can't find my keys. I'm, I'm not even trying to be funny. I mean, like, you want to talk about a real, you want to see the dark side of Peter LaRuffa. It's me frustrated with God because he knows where they are and he could solve this problem really fast if he just made me go where they are. This is not hard. You're God. You spoke the world into existence. Guide me to the keys in Jesus' name. Amen. He does not do that for me and I have to find them. And it doesn't happen often, but when it does happen, it really frustrates me. Don't you? There's just certain aspects of your life. You're like, God, you're all-powerful. You're sovereign. You spoke the world into existence. Can I find the keys? Can I make the grade? Can I get the job? What's this process? Let's even talk about spiritual things. Evangelizing the world. Go, therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name. Hold on, professor. Okay, wait a minute. Got to go, make disciples, baptize them, teach them all that you commanded. Why can't you just say, like, let there be Christians? Boom! And God saw there are Christians, and he saw that it was good. It's not because he lacks the ability. He must lack the desire. Because there's something that comes through the process of fill-in-the-blank. The process of Praying for a job, looking for a job, applying for a job, getting a job. Praying for a job, looking for a job, applying for the job, not getting the job. Looking back to the Lord, praying for a job, looking for a job, applying for the job, 
not getting the job. God provides a different job. It may not be amazing, but you could see that God had a different plan, and so therefore you trust in the Lord, and it is good. There's something about raising kids, which like, can we just like let them be wise, or let them be mature, or let them love Jesus, or let the like, just do it, just do it. But there's something that comes with walking alongside your child, loving them over time, them loving you when you're unlovable, you loving them when they're unlovable, teaching them, wrestling through things with them, striving with them, and seeing what the Lord does in their life. And I'm not saying that's when it turns out to all be happily ever after. It's seeing God provide through the good times and the bad. God is really interested in the process. He's not interested in efficiency nearly as much as yours truly is. Having said all that, Jesus doesn't just say, let there be church. Boom. In fact, if you look at the passage that we just read in Ephesians chapter 4, there's a lot of building language. There's, a lot, there's not a lot of creating language. There's building language and growing language. And as they reach maturity, and it's like, geez, like, just wow, this seems like it's going to take a while. I mean, just look back at the passage. Look at verse 11. For building up the body of Christ. Wow. Verse 13. To mature manhood. It's like, too, oh, too mature. Like, we've got to mature like we've had to mature throughout our own lives. Yeah, it takes time. Uh, verse 14, so that we may no longer be children. Verse 15, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to what? Grow up in every way into him who is the head. Not just speaking the truth, we are to be like Jesus. Just boom. Jesus isn't into boom. He grows. He changes us. He grows us. Verse 16, when each part is working properly, makes the body not be, but grow, so that it builds itself up in love. Point number one. You need to know how passionate Jesus is about building up his church. Building up his church. He likes the process. He, he, he loves watching us do the things we do so that it's slowly built over time to be what he wants it to be. And Jesus is passionate about it. The New Testament writers speak with passion about the building of the church. If you look at 1 Corinthians 14, verses 3 and following, Paul, you don't have to go there, it's in your outline, Paul says, on the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encourages and, uh, and encouragement and consolation. Verse 4, the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Verse 5, now I want you all to speak in tongues, but to even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets why. So the church may be built up. And so here, we're not going to get into all the details, but Paul is contrasting the gift of speaking in tongues, the gift of prophecy. And he's not just saying, I personally like the prophecy thing better. It seems more fun. The tongues thing is not my thing. He's not talking about his personal preference. He is ranking them next to each other. He's saying one is good and another is better. And the only reason he says one is better is because it serves to what? Build up the church. Because Jesus is passionate about building up the church. Also in your outline, 1 Corinthians 14, 17. For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. So that's not good. Verse 26. Let all things be done for building up. When Paul talks about building up the church, he's saying that's of primary importance, that we build one another up. Because we're not just going to be, but we're going to be built. And we're going to be built by God working through one another in our lives. Look at point number two. You need to know that Jesus' plan is to build his church through people like you and me. 
His plan is to build up his church through people like you and like me. Because you might sit here and say, I get it, right? God's going to use people totally for that. Not me, because I don't know if you saw me on Wednesday. It was not good. So probably not me, but other people, people, the professional Christians, the better Christians, the more mature Christians. God's going to build up his church through people, just not this person, or just not me and my friends, because we are fill in the blank, because we're young, or because we are inexperienced, or because we don't know our Bibles as well as we could, and there's other people who do better. And you're just not going to find that throughout the Scriptures. You're not going to find that Jesus has this elite group of people that he's going to work through. In fact, even when Jesus calls together the 12 disciples, when you look at each one of them, they're really not a lot to write home about when it comes to them. In fact, there's a lot about them that's pretty foolish, pretty immature, arguing over who's going to sit next to Jesus in heaven. This is amazing, right? Arguing over, it's like when the kids are, like, Emma always wants to sit next to me no matter what we're doing. So, like, when we're watching a movie, she'll be like, can I sit next to you? Can I sit next to you? It's like, this is stuff that, which is adorable, and it's great, and I love you. But this is not exactly, you think, like, I think the leaders who build up things should really be doing that, arguing who they're going to sit next to people. It's cute when it's father-daughter, a little concerning when it's the 12 people who are going to take the message of salvation to the entire stinking world. And they're like, I want to be next to Jesus. You got next to him last time. We have no reason to look at the apostles, to look at the original 12 and think God's got really strict standards as to who he's going to use. It's like he's looking for people who love Jesus eventually and who, who can breathe well. They're really good at taking in oxygen and exchanging it for carbon dioxide just over and over again. Jesus' plan is to build a church through people like you and me. And so elsewhere in Matthew, I think it's 16, Jesus asks his disciples, you know, who do people say that I am? And they're like, I'm more glad you asked. Some people think you're John the Baptist. Other people think you're Elijah. It's crazy. People think you're a dead person living. (laughs) Those people, am I right? And then Jesus is like, well, who do you say that I am? And they're like, ah, I got the thing. I got to go. Silence. Except one person, Simon Peter, who says, you are the Messiah. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus looks back at him and says, you're right. And what you've just said, Simon Barjona, what you've just said is not because you've come up with it. God has revealed this to you. And know on the very basis of what you just said, that I am the Son of God, he says five of the most powerful words ever, I will build my church. Not I will try, not I'm going to really give it my best effort, not I might, I what? I will build my church. And so the, the question is not, is Jesus going to build his church? Oh, I hope it's going to work. It's going to. It's going to, no question. He will build his church. But he's going to do it through people like you and me. Look at Ephesians 4, verses 11 and following. It says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. Now, when you read through those, that, you're like, yeah, there's the elite, right? Those are the, that's like the, the all-star team is right there. Gosh, apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers, pastors, teachers. Like, that's the professionals. But if you read on, he gave those people not to actually do the work of the ministry, but look at verse 12, to equip the saints you, the saints, to do the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ. So we're all mentioned in verses 11 and 12, right? Do you see that? 
I'm mentioned in verse 11. Not an apostle, not a prophet. I don't think I'm an evangelist. Shepherd teacher. That would be me. Okay. And my job is actually not to do the work of the ministry because it'll just be bottlenecked. Because I'm, I'm one person with lots of limitations and lots of shortcomings, lots of strengths and lots of weaknesses. And so what I need to do is equip other people to do the work of the ministry so that it doesn't get bottlenecked through Peter LaRufa and his shortcomings. We equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. If, I, if I'm doing the work of the ministry, I'm actually not doing my job, which is weird, to be in the ministry and be out of the ministry. It's like, but I'm trying to equip other people to do the work of the ministry. The work of the ministry happens among the rank and file of the church. Church leaders, elders, pastors, shepherds, teachers equip the members of the church for the building up of the body of Christ. And so think about that. You can't look at me as in ministry because I'm wearing an embroidered, there it is, like I'm wearing a Grace Fellowship shirt today and I'm kind of paid to be here. You are in the ministry if you're a Christian. That ministry will vary over different times and seasons as to what that looks like, but Christians do the work of the ministry. We're all part of the body of Christ. And so you think about it, you have, I don't know, 70, 80, 90, 100 years during which you're on this earth, living and breathing with the Holy Spirit, and this is your time to do the work of the ministry. And God is building his church, and your clock is ticking, and he's going to be working through you. The question is this, what about you? How will you contribute to the building of the church. How will you do the work of the ministry during your years on this earth before he calls you home? And also you should know our church is pretty much designed around this principle. Like we really do believe this. We, we've, we have people who equip the saints to do the work of the ministry and the church is built. Sometimes as churches grow in size, all that means is that the people at the top grow in number. And so instead of having nine elders, we grow the elder body to 12 or 15 or 20 or 30. So I've been at churches that God is really blessing. And so then as they grow, they have to grow their elders. Why? Because the elders need to do the shepherding. And it's kind of crazy if you think about it. Number one, I don't think we could have 30 elders do the work of the ministry in this church. Number two, it looks way more like C-SPAN than it does like ministry decisions being made. Like, do you know what it takes to come to a consensus among 30 God-fearing, ordinary people? That's not cool. It's just, it just is, it, again, it becomes a bottleneck. But if those elders, if those leaders are equipping other people to do the work of the ministry, the church is built. Instead of just saying, no, we're going we're gonna to keep it all to ourselves and make sure it's done right, that we have the, the creme de la creme, the top dogs, the cream of the crop doing the ministry, and we can't let other people do it because we need to do it, it actually stifles the growth of the church. And so at Grace Fellowship, not a perfect church at all, but one of the things we've tried to do is decentralize everything. Many things are decentralized. If you think about our primary care structure for our church, isn't the nine elders who are under the delusion that we can all provide it to thousands of people. Our primary care structure is what? Community groups. That's not perfect. No, it's not perfect. Nothing's perfect. 
but it's decentralized. We're equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry. I just spoke with a couple before, uh, the, before the first service. They're brand new community group leaders. They just had their first community group ever, 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 ever in their home. And they weren't just saying, they're like, yeah, we kind of got this. We're kind of a big deal. So it's really not that, that, that hard because we're like, they're, they're kind of scared to death. They're like, yeah, but, but excited in an exciting way because they could see God working, but they're brand new and they had 18 people show up and there's kids running around the basement and it's not easy, but they're willing to be used to do the work of the ministry and not waiting for a perfectionist or a professional to come along and do it. I lead a community group. I love leading a community group. But because I'm a pastor, it doesn't mean I'm going to lead 11 community groups because I'd poke my eyes out for relief. I don't lead 11 community groups. I lead my community group. And I try my best to uh, affect ministry within the group and have the group minister to each other. But I'm not going to lead 1,000 community groups. Why? Because we're going to equip others to do the work of the ministry. Uh, Amber Jones is our children's ministry coordinator. Um, We left because in the first service, I was like, and Amber loves kids. I had this natural hesitation um, as if, like, does she love kids? I'm not sure if she loves kids. But to be honest with you, I don't think Amber has a problem with kids. um, And she likes them all right. And she runs our children's ministry. But you know what she's really passionate about? She's passionate about equipping other people to love on those kids and to teach them the word of God. And so whether she, she doesn't hate kids, I mean, she's all four of them, right? She's got two of her own, and she, she, she loves kids. It's fine. But it's not about can she minister to the kids? Does she have enough love? Does she have the capacity to minister to the kids? The answer is no. But she has a team of people who wear orange and who are willing to go and minister to our kids on a weekly basis and, and, or on a biweekly basis or on a monthly basis or as a sub or whatever it is. And she equips them to do the work of the ministry instead of bottling it up and saying, I'm the children's ministry coordinator. I have to do it all. We decentralize it. You heard Joey talk about student ministry. He leads our student ministry. He's doing a tremendous job. It's not all about Joey. It's about his team. Tyler leads our coffee ministry. It's great. It's not all about Tyler. It's about a team. He does a great job, but it's not about him as much as it is his team. We could go on and on and on and on and on. We have an AV team. We have a worship team. It's not all about the leaders of that team, but equipping others to do the work of the ministry. And so here's what I'm saying. I want you to consider, do you find it hard to believe that God plans to use you in the ongoing process of building his church? You're like, I get that he uses people. I don't think he's going to use me. Do you find it hard to believe that God plans to use you in the ongoing process of building his church? Because if you do, we need to do our best to correct that. Which brings us to point number three. Here's why we need to correct that. Because God's word promises the church self-builds only when all of us are active in ministry together. Look at verse 16 in in Ephesians chapter 4. The end of verse 16 says, When each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That's a conditional phrase. It's a conditional promise. The body works together and builds itself up in love if each part is doing its job. But that'll never happen if you can't see yourself as called to work together to build up the church or if you have a reason of why that's one day. If you're looking like, that's one day, I can't do that now, I'm too young, I'm too busy, I've got this job, I'm newly married, I'm just a student. Or you're on the other side and saying, I've done that, been there, done that, got the t-shirt, and so now I'm retired until the Lord calls me to the ultimate resting home in the sky. 
You have to see yourself as part of that process, part of the building process. And if you can't see yourself as called to work together to build up the church, the body suffers. And I think it has to do with at least one of the following three things that we're going to cover quickly together. First, you need to see your ministry as it is, connected to someone other than you. Ephesians 4.15 says, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. You are serving. Paul says elsewhere in the book of Colossians, you are serving the Lord Christ. He's reminding the members of the church at Colossae that they are not necessarily serving what they see. They're serving a God who loves them and sent his son to die for them whom they cannot see. You are serving the Lord Christ. And so if you can't connect what you do in the here and now to a God whom you can't see, who is doing things through you that you know not of, you'll be less inclined to think God is really using me. You say, I'm just holding a door. They literally have doorstops that do that. Like there's literally things we could screw into this door and my job would be eliminated. I don't think God's working through me. I'm just literally, I'm just holding, I'm kind of holding, I could sleep and the door would stay open so long as I didn't fall. I don't think God is working through me. But God's word says he is. God's word says every part matters. And you're like, I think only the heart matters. I think only the brain matters. Toenails matter. If you get them removed, you'll miss them. Some of you know that. Things matter. Eyelashes matter. If you lose them, you'll miss them. Nowadays, everybody's adding them. I get it. But eyelashes matter. And God uses them. And your body uses them. If you're like, no, it's just an eyelash. Look, look, at, like it's just, it goes so easily. It's just an eyelash. It's a fingernail. It's not a lung. For crying out loud, a lung, I get it. Gee whiz, we got to breathe. A brain, yeah, kind of like the headquarters of the body. The heart, yeah, that stops. Everything stops. A knee, eh, you get a knee replacement. Eh, it's a hip. You need to see your ministry as it truly is connected to something bigger than you. Something bigger than you. And so it's really awkward if we were to walk in this room and just like, how do you picture, just picture this for a minute. You just walk in the room and on the stage is a foot. Exactly, right? Like there's just a foot. That's not, you don't even know the story behind it. But you're probably fairly certain that it's not good, Right? Because when do you see a foot by itself and there's like, actually, it's there for a great reason? Never. Right? Like, amputees are never like, I'm an amputee, but it's for a really great, I, you're going to love this story. It's usually the result of an accident or the result of something, because body parts laying by themselves look useless. But if you see a foot connected to a leg, which is connected to a, to, to a hip, which is connected to a body, it's like, okay, yeah, I'm we see feet. I'm not totally weirded out by the fact that there's lots of feet in this room. Probably about two, two to a person. That's not weird. You put a foot by itself, it's like, that's eh, a little weird. But when you connect it to the rest of the body, you're like, yeah, it makes sense. It's a foot. The eyelash is just a small little thing. By itself, it's like, I don't even, is that an eyelash? Is it a hair? Is it, I don't know what it is. But, oh, it's connected to an eyelid. Oh, the eyelid closes periodically. Oh, 
it protects your eye from getting all sorts of things in it that you probably don't even realize. Now I get it. It's an eyelash. It has a purpose. But if you can't connect it to something bigger than in and of itself, you'll either be concerned about it, grossed out by it, but not encouraged by it. And so if you see yourself as just this individual body, individual body part, just kind of laying there, yeah, it's as weird as just seeing an arm laying in the middle of the road. Probably a bad story behind it, not super encouraging. But if you're an arm that's connected to a shoulder, that's connected to a body, that ultimately is connected to ligaments and all sorts of things. I'm running out of words, guys. I did not do well in science. But if you see a body part that's connected to a body, it actually has a purpose. Ephesians 4.16 says, From the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. And finally, you need to see your ministry as it truly is connected to a purpose God has for you, and that purpose is in verse 16. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Uh, just briefly turn over to the book of 1 Peter chapter 4, if you would, please. 1 Peter chapter 4. First Peter chapter 4, verse 10 says this, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Verse 11 says, Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of who? Oracles of? Again, a little louder. Oracles of? God. Whoever serves is the one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything may be glorified through Jesus Christ. And so this is a great place of Scripture to turn to when you think there are like levels of godliness to serving within the kingdom of God. Because you tend to look at the person speaking and standing on stage and wearing a mic and having labored over the word who put a sermon together, and you're like, yeah, that's the real deal. That right, that's the real Pastor Peter, Pastor Brad, Pastor, like that's, that, that's a pastor. I mean, they've got a labor over the word, and they're speaking God's word to us. They are God's megaphone to us. It's hard to go from that to talk about, and I, he serves, and I also, I serve coffee. And then it just seems like, wah, wah, wah. but this passage of scripture says this. Look at verse 11. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of, say it again, the oracles of God. Whoever serves, serves by the strength that God supplies. So you realize what I'm doing is just being willing to be used by God in the gifts that he's given me. And someone else serving in any way, shape, and form, serving on the AV ministry, our worship team, our children's ministry team, our coffee team, they're serving with the strength that God supplies. In fact, when I've preached on this before, I would talk about our setup teardown team. How many of you were with us when we were portable and we were setting up and tearing down either in Fort Thomas or in Newport? Great. Keep your hands up if you miss those days. Right. I don't, I don't really. Great. I'm glad, Dan. That's great. No, you can set stuff up, man. We can have you set stuff up and tear stuff down. But we don't really miss those days, but you have to understand the people who serve in that capacity do so with the strength that God supplies. It's just as holy as somebody serving by preaching the word. It just doesn't get a lot of front time. It just doesn't involve a mic and lights and recording and sound. But it's people who are being willing to serve by the strength that God supplies. All, for the end of verse 11, in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Which brings us to our final point. You need to decide if Jesus will build his church 
through you or around you? Will he build his church through you or around you? Not will he build his church, because he said, I will build my church. He's not threatening it, it's just he keeps his promises. I will, it's going to happen. I'm going to build my church. And for every person in this room, for every person of every church family, for every person all across the globe who is a Christian, God will either build his church through them or around them. They're either willing to be used by God in whatever way the Lord would have them serve so that he could build his church through them, or God's going to be like, God, Bill, oh, sorry, I've got to go around Bill. He's too busy sitting. And he's going to build his church around people who are like, yeah, I'm not going to really be used in that capacity right now because I'm too busy or I'm too dumb or I'm too whatever. I'm too immature. I'm too what I can't be used. God's not going to be like, well, then I can't build my church. Help me. He's just going to build it around you. And see, this isn't the, oh, we're so desperate. Really need, like, that's not, that's not this sermon. This isn't the guilt trip sermon. This isn't the word desperate sermon. This is a you want a piece of this action sermon. You want to be used by God to build his church. And if you're not, you're missing out. You're truly missing out. We're going through the Gospel of Luke. We're going to get back to that, Lord willing, in a few Sundays. You might remember from Luke chapter 5, there's a few miracles in Luke chapter 5. The first of which is Jesus blessing Peter and the fishermen with like a lot of fish after they had been out all night and hadn't caught a thing. And so Jesus says, go, put out into the deep. Go, throw your nets back out. They're like, we're cleaning the, all right, fine, we'll go back out. Let me get this straight. We'll go back out during the daytime when you never catch fish. We just came in from the night, but the rabbi, not the fisherman, the rabbi, thinks he knows something we don't, so we're going to go back out into the water and we're going to throw our nets over. Uh, Jesus healed a man who was paralyzed later in that same chapter. And Jesus was teaching, and it was crowded, and people couldn't get the paralytic in, so they went up and lowered him down through the roof. They were that desperate to get this man in front of Jesus that they lowered him down through. They weren't just like, there's a long line. We'll come back. They're like, we got to get him to Jesus. They lowered him down through the roof. Later on, Jesus, you might not think it's miraculous, but it is miraculous. He calls Levi, who is Matthew, the tax collector, he says, come follow me. And Matthew gets up and goes. That's a miracle. Why didn't, just to go back to what we were saying in the beginning of the sermon, why didn't Jesus just make a bunch of fish appear? Just boom. Loads of fish. Right here. Because he wants people involved. He wants people to do the work. He wants people to be involved in that process, to throw the nets back over, to feel the tension of the nets, to watch the ship almost tip over, to see them having to do it on both sides, to see the nets almost break so people can be part of that process. Why not just heal the paralytic remotely? Like, isn't there an app for that or something? Like, this is Jesus. He could just heal the paralytic from where he is. Through the roof sounds, gee whiz. Why can't Jesus be like, listen, there's a paralytic close by. He can't get through. It's super crowded. Done. You are no longer paralyzed. 
because there's something through the struggle and the process of people carrying this man in and lowering him down and showing that they have that much faith in the Savior to be able to heal him. Why doesn't Jesus just say, just sit in a room and call all 12 together at once, boom, and they're all there. Believe me, it would have caught their attention if all of a sudden they just appear in a room and he's like, hi, I'm Jesus, I'm the Son of God. I think I've just proved that. I teleported you here, so we got stuff to do. I think he'd have their attention. No, instead he asked them one by one, come, follow me. Come, I'll make you fishers of men. Come and see. Come and follow. It just seems highly inefficient. But there's a process Jesus has and a purpose Jesus has behind that. And friends, I'm telling you, you want a piece of that action. You want to be involved in some form of ministry. You want to see Jesus using you to build up the church. And so what about you? 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 12 says, So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit... Hey, since you're excited to see the Spirit move. Hey, since you're eager to see, you're so eager to see the Holy Spirit move. Good, here's what you can do. He says, strive to excel in building up the church. What about you? If you were to fill in the blank, so if I were to to strive to excel in fill in the blank, it would build up the church. How would the Lord have you fill in that blank? What could you strive to excel in Given all the reasons you think you either can't or why it's hard, given your age, your season of life, whatever it is, but there's something you can strive to excel in that would help build up the body of Christ, how would God have you fill in that blank? If I were to strive to excel in blank, it would build up the church. I'm hoping and praying that the Lord would use that to spur your mind towards how he might have you be part of his body that serves to build up the church so that the church would build itself up in love. Here's what we're going to do. This wasn't wasn't as short as I wanted it to be, but this was a shorter sermon than it typically is. And so what we're going to do now is I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to send you out into the lobby early, okay? Out into the lobby early. And you're going to see there's little stations all around the lobby of the many ministry teams that we have. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I need you to do two things. Two things. One is, would you make sure you hit every one of those tables and thank those ministry team leaders for serving the way they do? They do a phenomenal job. They serve as unto the Lord. They do so with joy. And they do so many things that you're unaware of, that I'm oftentimes unaware of, to make sure that ministry happens within our church. So I would love for you to go around, shake hands, fist bump, hug, wave, tell them you're really grateful for them. That's one thing. And the next thing, you're going to find a card and candy. You're going to find a card. Candy. Yeah. Oh, yeah, candy. You're going to find a card at each one of the tables that shows you what it might look to serve on that team and how you can sign up, not necessarily to be on the team, but just to talk about what it might look like to be on the team. And so this isn't like some impulse buy, call now, i got to do now. I'm not the ShamWow guy, right? I just want you to go to each table. Remember that, ShamWow, anyone? Two of us, okay. Go to each table and look at what it might look like to serve on that ministry team. What's the commitment level like? What do you have to do? And maybe have a follow-up conversation with someone about it. Give an email address, give a phone call, and see if it might be for you.
Now, listen, I'm letting you out early. I, you might just be like, we can get a jump on and then fill in the blank, right? If I were to strive to excel in lunch plans, if I were to strive to excel in Bengals plans, and you can do that, I just wanted to let you know that God sees, right? <laughs> so don't forget that. It's not about me. God sees. And I don't believe in karma, but no, I'm kidding. I'm just, but please use this time to not only fellowship with one another, but to also go around to these tables and see how might the Lord use you in a small way, in a big way, to serve, to strive, to excel in an area where you might help us build up the church because you really do want a piece of this action. Father in heaven, we are grateful for your word. Uh, And I pray, Lord, that you do what only you can do, that you, Lord, would apply this sermon in ways that I can't, and that's individually to each individual heart and mind and season and situation that exists within our church family. And so show people where they might plug in to be part of what you're doing in building up your church. Lord, I pray you dispel the myths that cross people's minds even right now, thinking that this sermon is really for other people and not them because, and they fill in the blank. So I pray, Lord, that you would dispel that myth and that this would be a great day when people would leave And consider how they might be used in a way to build up your church in a variety of different means so that they might reach the end, that you might reach the end that you desire, that your church would build itself up in love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.